Hello, Sobertown listeners. Welcome to another episode of Early Days with Michael. Thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me a little bit today. I know I just did an episode on cravings, and this is going to be similar to that. But what I really wanted to document is kind of my immediate experience. And this this hit me about a week ago, and then it kind of went away. And I've, I've been having these same sort of thoughts and feelings today. And so I really wanted to be able to dig into it while it's real time, because I know I'm not alone in feeling this way. So I have been around the community uh, a minute. <laughs> I started struggling with my drinking again back in 2020. I was eight and a half years sober prior to that, and then decided to try some moderated drinking at that time that really turned into more of a few years of on and off binge drinking. But anybody who knows me, who's heard me talk about this a bit in the I Am Sober, the Sobertown community has probably heard me say, I have a definite window that is a risk for me. And for me, that window usually starts right around 90 to 120 days. And I meant to look, I didn't pull it up, but I am either day 93 or 94 right now. And so I am right on track to be in that window. And so it makes perfect sense that I'm starting to have these thoughts again. A friend of mine in the sober community, Viv, has done a podcast episode here on Sobertown as well, talking about the big thaw. Uh, and I would strongly encourage you to check it out if you haven't. The big thaw is a period where a lot of us in early recovery start to Breakthrough the physical pieces, our neurons are starting to fire appropriately, neurotransmitters are repairing themselves. At a neurological level, our brains are starting to heal. And as part of that, we start to feel things more intensely, things that we haven't experienced in a while. And so our sadness is deeper and our joy is higher. But I will tell you, for me, it's very subtle. It's not necessarily that. You know, if I'm sad, I'm crying, or if I'm happy, I'm dancing. Although I will admit, I've broken out and dance a few times over the last week or two. So we'll have to test that theory. But it's just, there's an overall rawness, I think, to this, this period where things are intense. And for those of us who have been in addiction for a while, when things get intense, we get uncomfortable. And when we get uncomfortable, our knee jerk reaction is to numb that, is to quiet that. We don't want emotions and things to be loud and noisy and overwhelming. We want to be calm. We want to be consistent. So I'm starting to notice some of these romanticizing thoughts, which I did talk about on the Cravings episode. But I'll tell you, that little voice can be so sneaky. And it, it sneaks in like a confidant. It's like this quiet little friend that you haven't talked to in a while who's like, hey, buddy, I got your back. You know what you need? Like, you've had a hard week. You deserve to unwind. I'm like, oh, that sounds nice. Here's the, the closer, the kicker, right? No one needs to know. <laughs> I know when I start having that no one needs to know thought I'm in trouble. Because that's where a lot of us get into trouble is when we start isolating, when we start being private and quiet with those thoughts. I know for me, it has been a recipe for disaster dozens of times. And so here I am talking to you because I have a feeling it's been a recipe for disaster for some of you a time or two as well. 
when I start thinking about that, no one's got to know peace, what that means in my head, right? What a night of quote unquote successful drinking means is not that I go and I have two drinks with friends. No, a night of successful drinking is me alone in my house taking shots. It's and even here is where the romanticizing comes up, right? Earlier today, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, whenever I'm drinking the liquor, I get really sick and I feel really miserable and I go right into withdrawals. So maybe I should just do beer this time. They sell those high strength beers. You can get a couple of those big cans. My brain is already justifying all this. And how is it going to make me feel okay? I'm not going to feel okay. The reality of the situation is any alcohol that I take into my system is going to take me right back to that place of misery. Because if I have a successful, quote unquote, successful night tonight, which means I drink enough to feel good, to feel drunk, to feel whatever I'm either desiring to feel or desiring to stop feeling. And I sleep through the night and I get up tomorrow and I'm functional and I'm able to get through my day and nobody can tell that I was drinking the day before. That is a successful night of drinking for me. But you know what happens if I have a successful night of drinking? I want to repeat the experiment. Well, that wasn't bad. I didn't feel terrible at all. Let's just do that again tonight. And then it's the weekend. So then I have two more nights before I have to be anywhere the next day. And this is where a binge starts for me. That's exactly how it starts. And so I'm really wanting to pay attention to the exact things that I'm experiencing, the exact feelings that I'm going through, the thoughts the cravings, what they look like, what they taste like, what they feel like, so that I can document this and get it out there. And hopefully other listeners can hear this and go, oh my God, me too. Because the big thing that we need to start to get aware of in this early part of sobriety is not necessarily that there are cravings. There are going to be cravings. Anyone who's going through addiction is going to experience cravings. That's the same for all of us. The difference comes in when we start to react differently to those cravings. We have to change the process. And I have talked a lot, sometimes feeling hopeless in the face of a craving. You know, it's not something I want to experience. I sit there and tell myself in my head, I shouldn't be craving this and this is stupid and I know where it goes. But the reality is I can't always control where my brain wants to take me. I can't always stop that flow. But I can always control my physical body. There's something tangible about that that is so much easier for me to visualize than the idea of trying to control a thought or control my mind. So even when I'm struggling and I don't want to feel a craving, but I know I'm craving, a thing that is easy for me to take control of is, well, I'm just not going to pick up my car keys, right? If I don't pick up my car keys, I can't drive to the store. And if I don't drive to the store, I can't buy liquor. And if I don't buy liquor, I'm not going to drink tonight. And so it's this little tangible step that doesn't take a whole lot of effort. It's not, it's not wrestling with myself and beating the demons in my mind into submission. No, it's just choosing not to touch my keys. That's all I have to decide to do is not touch my keys. And I can control that. And it's just this little shift in perspective for me that makes it a little bit more manageable of a task than 
standing strong in the face of a craving. I see a lot of people in the community who talk about weakness, right? We feel weak when we give into a craving. I wasn't strong enough to resist it. The reality is, honestly, I don't think any of us are strong enough to resist them when it comes down to it. It's that we make different choices. We choose different paths. It's the choose your own adventure book. You know, the people who make it, the people who stay sober long term are the ones who choose a different direction to go. They choose to pick up the phone and call a friend. They choose to play the tape forward. They choose not to leave the house. You know, another big successful thing that I hear a lot of people talk about is having an event where there's going to be a lot of alcohol present. And just recognizing, hey, I'm I'm not in a good place tonight. Maybe I, you know, maybe when I signed up for this event, I was feeling confident. But today I feel slippery as hell. And so I'm just not going to go. I'm not going to put myself in that situation. By doing all those things, we put ourselves first. And we're not used to doing that either. But that is the difference between the people who continue to stack consecutive time on top of consecutive time versus those of us seasoned professionals. <laughs> who have, you know, turned back the clock and, and reset our consecutive counters. And you all know I am passionate about saying it is not just about the consecutive days. Every sober day is a win, but it can be hard to see those folks that are celebrating long milestones that maybe you started with and you feel like you should be there. My therapist gave me all kinds of hell for shooting myself to death, so... Make sure you don't should yourself to death. Every journey to recovery is individual. Every single one of us needs to walk whatever path looks like for us. And if you need to do a little bit more learning, if you needed to relive that lesson one more time, there is zero shame in that. You are on the journey that you need to be on, and that is okay. So I'm making a distinct effort to specifically pay attention to these thoughts as as they occur to me, really try to define them so that I can pass them along. One of the ones that I noticed quickly coming back is the little beer before liquor mantra, right? How many of us preached this? Beer before liquor, never sicker, liquor before beer, in the clear, some variation of that. And some of you probably know it the other way around, because my true belief is that it doesn't matter. <laughs> this there's no science to that. You know, it's just about how much booze you drink versus how much water you drink. I've had some of the worst hangovers of my life off of liquor and then wine and then beer. It just, it didn't matter. But yeah, that little mantra coming back to me, it's just, it's this sort of cast back to the quote unquote fun drinking days. It's part of that romanticizing. It's, it's like, digging up a fond memory uh, of, you know, something funny that we used to say to each other on those drinking nights, that and counting down me. If I go to bed now, <laughs> I will get six hours of sleep. There are fond memories attached to some of those things because some of those times were fun. Some of those times I was bonding with people, I was building relationships. And it wasn't all terrible. And that's what keeps us drinking or using in the beginning, I think, is because there is some positive feedback to that. So that's a little tickle of the, the romanticizing thought. One of the other ones that was certainly coming to start spending some time in my head is planning how to get around tomorrow. 
right? So I'm already thinking into the hangover tomorrow. This this is not the right way to play the tape forward. I'm, I'm sorry to say. I'm thinking about, okay, when I wake up with a hangover, or if I wake up in the middle of the night as the poison gets out of my system, how am I going to get back to sleep for four hours so I can function when the alarm actually goes off at six? And so, okay, well, I need to remember to stash a little bit of alcohol so I can get up and have that 2 a.m. shot so that I can get back to sleep. Or, well, I guess I can tell the girls at work that I woke up with a stomach bug and I'll just work remotely for the day and then I'll be all right. I am already strategizing my lies. One of the things that I have in my phone, in my IAS app, for the motivational things that we have in there, right? One of them says, the best apology is a changed behavior. I, earlier in 2023, really went on a pretty rough binge where it impacted my work. And I had to, you know, fill my coworkers in on what was going on and my struggles with alcohol. A few clubs trusted confidants there. But any time that I am out of work, I know now that's got to be in the back of their head that that's, you know, I wonder if she's drinking again. And that is me not upholding my promises. That is me not striving to fulfill my apologies that I made to them, saying that I would not let them down and I would not do that to them again. Now, I also can't browbeat myself and shame myself if I do make a mistake. And, you know, I, I, I don't want because what I don't want to happen is to fuel the shame cycle any more than we already do. The fact that that I'm already planning how to be manipulative and how to lie, which is another one of my sayings in the IAS app, is I am not I am not a liar or a manipulator, but alcohol makes me into one. And this is very true. I have my own personal kind of code of ethics that I try to live by. And when I'm sober, I do a pretty good job of upholding those things. But if I'm drinking, there's no holds barred. I am a different person, and the number of times I've woken up shamefaced and embarrassed and anything from, oh my God, did I text that person to, oh my God, I can't believe I drove, I could have killed someone, just the the terrible decisions that I know I'm capable of making when I'm drinking. But yeah, planning the lie. Then there's one more little element of this that is my stubborn inner self. There's my little... 13-year-old, defiant, (laughs) punk rock girl raising her fist in the air and saying, you can't fucking tell me what to do, right? When I start thinking about calling someone and talking through this, she throws her fist in there and says, I don't want anybody to talk me out of this. If I want to drink, I'm going to drink. And that is where my personal fuck it button likes to come in and say, that's right. Hell yeah. If I want to do it, I can. Now that's true, right? And I I try to remember that. I try to practice that. Like trying to avoid and staying away from the I can't language. I can't drink. I'm not allowed to drink. Because things like that make it feel like you're being deprived of something. You're being refrained from something that you want. You're being jailed. You're being punished. What I want to think about in the way that I try to frame it is I can drink. I choose not to because that gives me the power back instead of I can't. I can't is just one of those negative connotations. And and I think our brains almost can't help but to feel it 
in a negative light and want to fight against it. So my little defiant self wants to just give the middle finger to the world and go do what she wants, whether it's good for me or not. So it's really interesting to me to watch these patterns play out. Unlike other times, I plan on getting on a call or getting in my Telegram groups and chatting with some folks about these cravings. But it was helpful for me to even get on here and talk through it some because this is the struggle of early days for me. This is where the heat gets kicked up and I start to feel the challenge of it. And so I wanted to be able to share that with you listeners. If you feel similarly, if you have slipped at this phase, if you're not sure how to get past it, you are not alone. If you would like to talk to me about your experiences, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at earlydayspc at gmail.com. I'd look forward to it. I'd love to get to know each other a little bit more. Thank you, listeners, and wishing you another sober day.